In our study of Revelation, so far we have seen six churches. Today we're going to look at the seventh. Uh, in studying these churches, we have seen churches that are persecuted and hated by the world, and we have seen churches that are compromising and taking the shape of the world. We have seen churches that uphold the word of God and the truth of the gospel, and we have seen churches that are perverting and denying the word of God and the truth of the gospel. We have seen churches stand up to the sexual perversion and idolatry that was all around them, and we've seen churches surrendering to the sexual perversion and the idolatry around them. And as we have listened in, we have heard Jesus' words of correction to them. As we've listened in, we've also listened to Jesus' words of encouragement for them. And in all of this, God has been speaking to us. Now, I say that every week, but I'm clear, I want to be clear in that. God is speaking to us today in his church. As we've moved through these six churches, as we head to the seventh church, God is speaking to us. Each one has been pinpoint relevant for us today. Well, as wildly relevant as these messages have been, I believe none maybe is as fitting and is as terrifying and perhaps is as heartbreaking as is the message that we're going to find today. God has been speaking. Each of these messages have been relevant for the day that we're living in, but I believe none is more fitting perhaps than the message we're going to hear today. Today our message is entitled, The Complicitly Comfortable Church. The Complicitly Comfortable Church. Our verses today are Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. The end of the chapter. Revelation chapter 3, 14 through 22. The Complicitly Comfortable Church. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word, beginning today in Revelation chapter 3, the 14th verse. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich. And white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today. We rejoice today. We rejoice in the testimony of baptism. We rejoice in the truth of your word. We rejoice in the truth of a Savior. 
a king, our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I, I pray as we begin to, to open your word today, I pray that you would speak. And as always, Lord, I pray that it would not be normal, it wouldn't be just a, a lecture, it wouldn't be the passing on of information, but Lord, that you would speak. And I, I pray it would be a tremendous event, that it would bear great impact, that it would be a supernatural event. Lord, I pray for your church that we would be built up today, that we would be encouraged today, convicted if need be. And Lord, I pray again that it brings much glory to your name. Lord, I pray if there's somebody listening today that doesn't know Jesus, that hasn't trusted you as their Savior, I pray that in the hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I pray that any hindrance would be removed. I pray that in the hearing of the gospel, that today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, we come and we do tell you we love you. We tell you you are worthy. You are awesome. You're worthy of our praise. We give it to you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As we begin today, the question is this. Do you need Jesus? Do you need Jesus in your day-to-day -day life as you move through the hours, as you move through the days, as you move through the week, do you need Jesus? Now listen, I'm not talking about going to heaven. I'm not talking about when things get unbearably hard, but I'm talking about in your daily life, as you go through the course of your days, do you need Jesus? In the first church that we looked at, the church at Ephesus, we found a people who had waned in their love for Jesus. Their love for Jesus over time somehow had tapered off. Their love for Jesus over time somehow had diminished. Well, today in this message, we find a much more, I believe, serious situation. Today we find a people, and the bottom line is they had grown to not need Jesus. They had grown over the course of their days to not need Jesus. They were self-sufficient. They were self-relying. Because of that, they were self-directed. And they got to a place that they were comfortable without Jesus. They were fine. They were all right without Jesus. For those people, Jesus shows the greatest contempt, the greatest displeasure of all of the seven churches. So we see the church that denies the word of God. We see the church that becomes worldly. We see a church that had waned in its love for Jesus. But the greatest contempt, the greatest disdain shown by Jesus was shown for this church who had gotten to a place that they were comfortable without Jesus. Now, as we look at our verses today, I'm going to ask that you continue to evaluate and ask yourself, this past week, did you need Jesus? Were you able to get along fine without Jesus? Day to day, did you need Jesus? All right, let's go to our verses. We're going to begin in verse 14. Verse 14, it says this, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says... This. Now, again, a message from the resurrected Christ. Uh, it is to the specific church in the city of Laodicea. It is to be delivered through the pastor of 
the local church. And so it is given to the pastor of the church is to be presented to this specific local church. Now, I want to tell you about the city starting off of Laodicea. Now, this was a wealthy city. It was known for the uh, occupants of that city, the residents of that city, having great wealth. There were some families that had great wealth. They were well known as wealthy families. The city of Laodicea was on the crossroads of three major roads. One went to Ephesus, one went to Pergamum, the other went to Sardis. Now, because it was at this crossroads, because it was at this trade route, it had become also a banking city. And so money was stored there, money was exchanged there, money was held there for the doing of business being on this crossroad. The city itself was one of several cities, maybe as many as 10, in the Lycus River Valley. There is this river valley. This is one of the cities there in this river valley. The city of Colossae, where Paul ministered, where Paul would write the letter to the church, of, in the letter to the Colossians, uh, it, this city of Colossae was about 10 miles away. Uh, there was another city named Aeropolis that was also very close to this city. Now that's going to matter more here in a moment. In verse 14, starting off this message, Jesus once again addresses the church starting with a picture or a description of himself. Each of the seven letters have started in this manner. That is how this letter starts as well. Now, I will tell you this morning, one of my favorite parts of the study so far has been the examination of these descriptions. I think it is awesome. I think it is tremendous to see what Jesus says of himself, what Jesus wanted them and wants us to know of himself. One of my favorite parts has been these self-descriptions given by Jesus. Well, here in this message to this seventh church, Jesus says, the amen, the faithful and true witness the beginning of the creation of God says this. Now, again, I want to break down and I want to look at each of those descriptions. Jesus starts off and he calls himself the amen, the amen. It is the Hebrew word amen. It is a statement of affirmation. It literally translates, so be it, let it be so, or it is the truth. Again, it served to affirm a preceding statement. And so somebody would say something, and they would say, amen. That is the truth. Amen. So be it. Amen. Let it be. It is a word of affirmation. Now, I want you to notice here, and it's a big deal. I want you to notice this. Jesus doesn't say, amen. This isn't a stamp of affirmation on something that he has said. He doesn't make a statement and then say amen. It's not a, a stamp of affirmation on some words that he has spoken. He doesn't say amen. He says he is the amen. Now, let, what that means is, now I want you to see this. It means this. He is the affirmation. He is the confirmation. 
He is the truth. It means he is the end all, be all, summary of all things. He is the final word. He is the truthful word. He is the amen. I want to tell you, as I, as I look at that, I wish that I could help us see that. I wish that I could, I wish that I could help us see that more clearly. You want the word on creation? What is the word on creation? Jesus is the word. He's the amen. You want the word on salvation? You want to know the, the specifics of salvation? Jesus is the word. He's the amen. Jesus is the amen. It goes on. and It says, he says, he is the faithful and true witness. He is the faithful and and true witness. Now I want you to see this. Here we have two descriptions of one witness. And, and, and I think that's important. We have two descriptions of one witness. First off, he is the faithful witness. He is the faithful witness. That means he is dependable. He is loyal. He is trustworthy. He is faithful. He is the faithful witness. You can depend, you can count on him. But he also adds to that, he is the true witness. He is the true witness. That means true, right, correct. He is the true witness. Now, I'm kind of crazy, but I want you to go with me on this for a second. I was thinking about that statement. I was thinking about that conjunction and. I was thinking about these two descriptions for the one witness. And I was thinking about that. And I started thinking, what if you had a faithful witness, but he wasn't true? What if you had a loyal, dependable witness, but he wasn't true? What he said wasn't true. Or what if you had a true witness, but he wasn't faithful? I was reading ahead this week. And in chapter 19, there's an awesome picture. We're going to get there. I don't know how long it's going to be before we get there. But in chapter 19, it says that the, the heavens are going to open up. And there's going to be a great white horse. And on that horse, there's going to be the righteous judge. And it says this, and he is called faithful and true. He is dependable. He is trustworthy. He is correct. He is right. That is Jesus, the faithful and true witness. Praise the Lord for that. The last self-description says the beginning of the creation of God. The beginning of the creation of God. Now, I want to help you understand this. Be sure and understand there are some cults, in fact, many cults, the Mormons are one of them, and they say that Jesus had a start, that Jesus was created. Well, we know Jesus was not created. We know he is eternal God. We know he is the creator. Scripture is very clear in that. All things that are came to be through Jesus. And so I want you to see this. The word for beginning here is referring to his role as creator. And therefore, it is referring to his rule over creation. And so this is talking about his position. This is talking about his authority and his place. He is supreme over all creation. He rules over all creation. Now, I want you to put all of that together. This message 
It comes from the amen, the faithful and true witness, and the beginning of the creation of God. Jesus himself is speaking. This is his description. The message comes from him. Now, I want to take a side note right here. Don't we mostly have a far too small picture of Jesus? And I, I read these descriptions for these seven messages. I look at this description today. Don't we have far too small of an understanding of Jesus when, when the reality is we can't even fathom the riches of, of the depth of the understanding of Jesus. We can't understand the magnificent, marvelous magnitude of our Savior Jesus. He is before all. He is eternal. He is creator of all. He's the true high priest. He's the perfect lamb of God. He's the sacrifice, the atonement for sin. He's the redeemer for sinners. He is our advocate. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the way. He is the Savior, the Lord, our King. Oh, what a, what, a, what a Savior we have in Jesus. I think we think too small of Jesus. We try to put him in our hip pocket. Well, you know, Jesus, I, I, no, he's huge. We can't fathom how awesome he is. Oh, what a Savior we have in Jesus. Verse 15. Says this, verse 15. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. Now, we need to understand this. I think sometimes we misunderstand this. And let me read that to us again. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. Verse 16. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now let me explain this to you. The word here for spit, uh, it is the Greek word that actually translates vomit. Uh, it is a harsh word. It is an aggressive word. It means to throw up. It, it actually means to be repulsed to have such extreme disgust that you want this thing separated from you, and so you vomited it out. You get it away from you. You eat something so foul and so rotten that you have to, your body has to get rid of it, and so it vomits it out. That's the word for spit here. That's the word Jesus uses here. The word for lukewarm here, it actually means warm. Uh, it is not a good description. It means slightly warm, warm water. Now, let me explain what's going on here. Remember the city of Colossae. It was a city 10 miles away. The water source for the city of Colossae came from a mountain close by that was 8,000 feet high. The snow would melt on this mountain and it would run down through the streams, and it would run down through the rivers. It would be purified in the process, and it would arrive there in the city of Colossae, and it would be cold. It would be clean, crisp water. This would be delightful water. If this was your drinking source, you would be happy. It was delightful water. 
Aeropolis, however, another city close by, it was known for its hot springs. Uh, all around the city, water would come up and it would gather into pools. The water was hot when it came out of the ground. It was full of minerals. People would actually travel to the city to sit in the hot springs. They believed there were healing properties in the minerals of the water, in the hot water. And so they would go to the city and they would sit in the hot springs. It was an early version of a hot tub. The minerals, though helpful, they did not smell good. They did not taste good. And so the water was not good to drink. It wasn't delightful like the water in Colossae, but it was useful water. So no, it wasn't delightful water, but it was useful water. Laodicea, however, used as its water source aqueducts or canals from the water of Aeropolis. And so they would take that water from the hot springs, they would empty it into a canal, an aqueduct, and they would run it to their city. By the time it would get there, it would no longer be hot. And so when it got there, it would be just warm, lukewarm. It, it, it smelled bad. It tasted bad. It wasn't the delightful cold water. It wasn't now the useful hot water. It was this warm, foul, good-for-nothing water. Well, Jesus makes the harsh condemnation. He says, I know you. I see what you do. I see your deeds. You're not good. You're not good for the cause. And because of that, you repulse me. Now, I was thinking about that. That has to be the toughest sermon this guy ever had to preach. And I thought about There's been sermons that I could tell that weren't that popular. Uh, I, there's been sermons that were hard to preach. But I think this, this had to be the toughest sermon ever to preach. This poor old preacher gathers up the church, and he says, we have a letter, and it's a message from Jesus, and they sit down, and, and they, I, I can imagine they're waiting to see what Jesus is going to say to them, and they're sitting down, and all the ears are given to the pastor, and he opens up the scroll, and he says, here's the message from Jesus. You repulse me. I want to vomit you up. Can you imagine that sermon? Can you imagine those hearers? Verse 17, he tells them why. Listen to this. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Right? I want you to see something first off in verse 17. First off, in verse 17, be sure it doesn't matter what they think. It doesn't matter what they say. Sometimes we think, well, we, we like this in a church, and we're excited about these things, and this is what we approve in the church. Sometimes we wonder what the culture thinks of the church, and the, the culture approves, and the city is happy for the, for the church. Listen, it doesn't matter what they think. It doesn't matter what they say. It only matters what Jesus says. He says, because you say, we're rich. Listen to this description. We're wealthy. We've got stuff. We've, we've got money. We're well fed. Have you seen our houses? Do you see the things that entertain us? 
We are blessed. They say we are doing fine. We are satisfied with the things of this world, and we need nothing. That's what this church says. We've got money in the bank. We've got cars to drive. We've got food to eat. We've got things to entertain us, and we are satisfied with the things of this world. And Jesus, we need nothing. Isn't that our day? Isn't that our description? I've been a pastor now over 17 years. And I expected much of what I do. But there's something I never expected. For 17 years, I have spent hours upon hours upon hours asking believers to come to church. Can you imagine that? Asking believers to come to church. I've posted ads and I've posted posts and I've sent out cards and we've put up billboards. Oh, believer, come to church. It's going to be good. It's going to be great. We're going to have ice cream. I've spent hours upon hours upon hours asking believers to come to church. I've spent hours and hours and hours persuading believers to read their Bible. Have you ever heard me say, it's the best way to live? Hey, it's the best way to live. God's word is truth. It's the only truth. You'll be blessed. The threat today... And I'm going to tell you the truth today is this. Somehow, we've become comfortable apart from Jesus. Comfortable church doesn't sing, not really, because there's no worship welling up in their heart. A comfortable church doesn't pray, doesn't cry out to God in prayer, because there's no need they can't provide for themselves. A comfortable church doesn't read its Bible because there's no interest in God. There's no yearning to hear his voice. It doesn't matter. A comfortable church doesn't witness. There's no urgency for the lost. They don't care if anybody gets saved. A comfortable church doesn't gather because they get their encouragement somewhere else. The comfortable church doesn't seek Christian fellowship because it's fellows with the world in all of its ways. And listen to me, the comfortable church does not need Jesus. Jesus says here to them, you think you're wealthy. I'll tell you, you're wretched. He says, you think you're well-to-do, you're miserable and you're poor. You think you're well-dressed, strutting around down there. You're naked and you don't even have enough sense to realize it. What's the answer? Verse 18. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. What is the answer? The answer in verse 18 is this. Come to Jesus. That's what he says, come to Jesus, secure from him true wealth, find in him eternal treasure, come to Jesus. 
And you can wear his robe of righteousness, come to Jesus, and through the lens of his truth, you can see things as they are. Jesus is the answer. May seem weird, but I love verse 19. Listen to this. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, therefore be zealous and repent. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, therefore be zealous and repent. Let me tell you why I love verse 19. Jesus still loves his church. Jesus still loves this church. It wasn't because they were good. He, they, they discussed him. It wasn't because they earned it. They did everything wrong. They didn't earn it. It's because he loves them. And that's because it is who he is. He still loves this church. He says, those that I love, I don't leave them that way. Those that I love, I correct. He still loves this church. He says this, therefore... Be zealous and repent. Be zealous and repent. Repent means to turn around. Jesus says, come to me. Repent, turn around. Whatever direction you're headed, turn around, come to me. I want you to understand this. That is the hope of the lost. Repent and turn to Jesus. I don't want you to forget this. That is the hope of saved people as well. Turn around and come to Jesus. That is the promise of Jesus. You can always come home. You can always come home. You're lost and you're walking to this world without Christ and you're carrying the weight of your sin. You can turn to Jesus and he'll save you. Let me tell you something. As a believer, you can get caught up in sin and you can stray and you can go the wrong way. The promise of Jesus is this. If you'll repent and turn, you can come home. You can come to Jesus. Praise the Lord. The word here for zealous. I like this word. The word here for zealous, be zealous, Jesus says. It means to be eager. It literally means to become so hot that you can't be contained. The picture here is a pot that boils over. If you try to put a lid on it, it, it rattles it and shakes it off. If you try to contain it, it overflows and it comes out. It is an uncontrollable, intense desire. Let me tell you something this morning. I've been thinking about this. I, I, I want to tell you this. I know Jesus. I know Jesus. I trust Jesus. I'm growing in what I know of Jesus. Today, I'm growing in what I know of Jesus. I'm growing in how I see Jesus. I'm growing in my love for Jesus. I, I see him, and I know him, and I'm growing in that, and I'm growing in my love for Jesus and I want to tell you, at 52 years old, my goal is that I would become so zealous for Jesus, so overcome by Jesus, so consumed by Jesus, so hot that I would boil over. And my goal is that I wouldn't be able to be contained and you couldn't put a lid on it and it wouldn't matter what the culture said, it wouldn't matter what people did, but my knowledge of Jesus that produces my love for Jesus would make me so excited, so uncontainable that I would explode. That is, my, that is my goal. Now listen, you hear that and say, well, that's crazy. That's weird. I'm going to tell you something. I don't care. I don't care. 
Do you understand who our Savior is? Do you understand the grace that He has shown us? Do you understand the love that Jesus has given us? Oh, that we'd be zealous. He says, be zealous. Don't be containable. Be zealous and repent. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Verse 20, I believe verse 20 is the saddest verse in this study so far. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. I want you to see the picture here. This isn't talking about lost people. It's been used that way. That's fine. He does seek out lost people. That is true. But that's not this picture here. That's not what's talking about here. These are saved people. This is the church. This is his church. And so the picture is Jesus is standing at the door of the church. Do you see it? Jesus is standing on the outside of his own church, and they are so self-absorbed, they are so self-satisfied, they are so self-worshiping, he's not in the church. He's outside of the church, and he's knocking on the door of the church. Oh, I want to tell you something. If they would just open it up, he'd forgive them, he'd restore them, he'd renew them. It says he would come in and dine with them. That's a sign of fellowship. If they would just open the door, he'd come in, and they'd have fellowship. They're so self-satisfied, so self-worshiping, they have no need for Jesus. And so he stands at the door and he knocks. What a Savior. Someday I'm going to write a book and I'm going to call it The Savior Who Knocks. The Savior who knocks. You see, that's Jesus. And I want to tell you today, he doesn't have to knock. And he doesn't have to stand there. He's the amen. He's the creator of all things. He's the ruler of all things. And yet he comes, the creator God of all things. And he so loves and he is so gracious that we have a Savior who knocks. I want to tell you, I, I hear folks today talk about that demeans Jesus. And they try to explain it as a, different, as a different explanation here. They say that belittles Jesus. He's the creator of all things. He doesn't wait on sinners. That's what they say. He doesn't wait on sinners. I want to tell you something. The testimony of Scripture is he is patient and he is kind. And praise God, the creator God of all things is a Savior who seeks after sinners. And he knocks. I want to tell you, that doesn't belittle Jesus. To me, that glorifies Jesus. Oh, what a Savior we have. That he would consider a sinner such as I. That he would consider sinners such as us. Here he comes to his very own church. He ought to crush it. He ought to blow it down. But instead, he stands at the door and he knocks. Oh, if you'll answer, there's grace and there's forgiveness and there's fellowship and there's peace. 
Praise God for the Savior who knocks. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. Verse 21. Verse 21 is an awesome promise. And he who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. I I had to to look at this for for a while to, to sort this out. Listen to this. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Remember, we overcome. I want to be clear of this. We overcome because of Jesus. We overcome in Jesus. If you have trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we overcome in his power. We don't have to overcome in our strength. We don't have to overcome in our works. We overcome in Jesus. So be sure of that. If we've trusted Christ, we in Christ will overcome. But here's the promise. I want you to think about it. Jesus explained it to us in the verse. Think about it. When Jesus had come as a man, when he had suffered as a man for mankind, when he had gone to the cross, when he had endured the cross, when he had defeated the grave with it all done, remember he declares it is finished. And the Bible says that he ascends to the right hand of the throne in glory. And the Bible says this, and he sat down. Jesus gives us that example right there. The work of salvation is forever finished, and now Jesus has returned to glory, and there he sat down. Jesus rests. Jesus rests. Here's the promise for those in Jesus. Rest. I want you to hear this. The promise for those in Christ that Jesus gives us in this verse is rest. No more striving, no more straining, no more seeking, no more running. The promise is rest. I figured it out. Do you know what the people in this church, do you know what their problem was? And I I, I thought about it. Do you know what their problem was? How, How do you think your wealth is greater than the wealth of God? What's their problem? I'm going to tell you what the the people in this church, their problem was this. Listen to me very carefully. They mistook comfort for rest. And they had all the stuff. They had all the clothes. They had all the entertainment. They had all the houses, but they had no rest. And they mistook comfort for rest. And they had all of those things. But I want to tell you something. They had to run to get it, brother. And they had to run to keep it. And they had to run. And they had to keep running. And when they get tired, they couldn't slow down. And it was as if they were on a treadmill. And yes, they had comfort, friend, but they had no rest. There's only rest in Jesus. Remember that old song? Then at last when on high he sees us, our journey done, we will rest where the steps of Jesus end at his throne. Footprints of Jesus. Jesus gives rest. Verse 22. He who has an ear, 
Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do you need Jesus today? Do you need Jesus today? Have you found rest today? Are you still running? Are you still striving? Are you tired? Do you need Jesus today? I want to tell you this. We have our Savior. We have our hope. We have the forgiveness of sin. We have a future. And in Jesus, we have rest. Doesn't that sound good? In Jesus, we have rest. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come. And I'm thankful for a gracious Savior. I'm thankful for a powerful Savior. I'm thankful for a loving Savior. I'm thankful for the head of the church, Jesus, that loves his church. When we mess it up, he calls us to repent and come back. He promises restoration and fellowship. He doesn't write the church off. He's not seeking to do away with it. He seeks to restore it. Lord, may we be zealous and repent. Also thankful that that's just a picture of the gospel. That for those who are in their sin, who haven't turned to Christ, he doesn't stomp us out. He doesn't write us off. But he comes and in great love and great grace, he makes a way for us in the cross of Calvary. Lord, I pray here for a people. Some that never have met Christ for the first time, I pray that they would find rest in Jesus. Some that know Jesus, have claimed him and trust him, and now we've turned back to the ways of the world and we're being stretched thin again, being robbed of our rest. Lord, I pray that we would again turn and be zealous and come home to Jesus. Lord, I'm thankful for this message. I'm thankful for its truth, and most of all, I'm thankful for its gracious, kind Savior. Lord, I pray in this time of invitation that you would work, that you would speak. I pray as we leave this building today, I pray that we would carry the hope of your word, the truth of your word. We would carry it to a lost and dying world. Lord, we ask that you move at this time. I trust it to you. I thank you in advance, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close with a time of response, a time of invitation. And I think about these seven messages of these churches you know, in, in the, the flow here, the church age was about to end. For us, the church age is about to end. But in the meantime, we have the message of hope. We have the message of a gracious Savior, and we have a world that's lost and separated from Jesus Christ. You know why it matters that we uphold the truth? You know why it matters that we don't compromise with the world? You know why it matters that we need Jesus? It's because there's a lost and dying world that needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something, friend. God knows you. God loves you. God sees you. God sees the punishment we've earned. He knows it. He is gracious, and he sends his only begotten son. He comes, he lives a life he never sins, not one time. Because he doesn't sin, he's able to offer himself in our stead, in our place. That's exactly what he does in the cross of Calvary. There he comes, and he dies my death, your death, paying for our sin. They take him off of that cross. They put him in a grave. The payment is paid in Jesus Three days later, he walks out of that grave, and he has a receipt in his hand. It's paid in full. The payment is received. He stands as the victorious risen lamb. The Bible says if you'll place your faith in him, listen to me, you shall be saved. 
Not of any work that we would ever do, not in a church membership, not in a baptism. If you would trust Jesus as the Savior for your sin, he'll save you right now. If you've never done that, listen to me, do it today. We have a Savior who's patient and kind, desiring that none should perish. If you'll trust him today, he'll save you today. If you've never done that, do that. If you need more information, you come in a moment. Let's talk it through. Let me show you what God's Word says. Settle that today. If you're not sure, don't walk out of here without that peace. Settle it today. Maybe you're here and you've made that decision, but you've never fallen believer's baptism. Not as a part of our salvation, but as a testimony to it. And you would come and say, well, I, I trust Jesus. My hope is in Jesus. I've claimed him as my Savior, but I've never fallen in believer's baptism. Not as part of my salvation, not before my salvation, after it's a testimony to it. If that's you, you come. We'll set a day, and it'll be a great day of celebration of testimony, pointing to our Savior, Jesus. Maybe you're here looking for a church home, and you've prayed about it. And you believe God has led you here. You come as well. Together we'll uphold his word. We'll preach his good news until he comes again for us. Maybe you're here, and you're going through something altogether different. And I want to tell you, we have a Savior that knows and sees. He tells us his throne of grace is open. Nothing is too big. Nothing is too small. You can come here to the altar and pray. You can come pray with me. We're going to stand and sing. If God is speaking to you, if he has spoken to you, if you need more information, I'll be here at the front. You come on. I'll meet you here. You come on.